Welcome to the Faith Broadcast. I'm Carrick Butler. I lead Faith Christian Center right here in Austell, Georgia. Thank you for tuning in today. I believe today's message is going to equip you and empower you to make Jesus famous in your everyday life. As you listen, something good is going to happen to you. So listen up to the message, apply it, and I'll talk to you after today's message. You know, a couple weeks ago, I was ministering in Bulgaria, and at their second service of the day, you know, I kept trying to preach, and people got, got any healed. So I'm like, well, I'll wait. Holy Ghost, whatever you want to do. And so the thing is about when we come to church, we're glad it's not just a religious occasion that when we come to church, God is here. He says he gathers where two or three are gathered in his name. He inhabits the praises of his people. That's why we say our motto here is to experience God, experience his word, experience his presence, and experience his love. Amen. One of the things we want to do on a regular basis is create experiences where people can encounter God. Because that's what it's all about. Amen. That's why we're here. Well, open your Bibles with me to Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4. We can continue on with our series, Soul Wars. Mark chapter 4, and I encourage you, if you want to follow along with me in my notes, you can open the YouVersion Bible app and go to More and Events, and you'll see my notes for today. Or if you want to follow along with my notes, just open up the Faith Christian Center app. It's on the third link on the first page, and you're able to follow with me there. Mark chapter 4. You know, if you missed any of the series, I encourage you to catch up. You know, we have it on our app for free, on YouTube for free, on Facebook Live, on our website, on our podcast, many different ways where you can follow along with us and catch up. And greetings to everybody watching us on Facebook Live and YouTube and the app and on Periscope and all those who watch the replay later on the different networks that we're on. We're so glad that you tuned in with us today. And if you're watching us live go, or watching the replay, go ahead and share and give us some comments and like to let, you know, to let us know that you're watching along with us. So Mark chapter 4, verse 7. One of the things we know is the, one of the most important parables of the Bible. And through this parable, it's a key to understanding the rest of Jesus' parables. We're going to look at Mark chapter 4, verse 7. It says, And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no fruit. And other fell on good ground and did yield fruit that sprang up and increased and brought forth some 30, and some 60, and some 100. So Jesus interprets this parable for the people who are with them going into verse 18. It says, These are they which are sown among thorns, such as hear the word. Say, they heard the word. So these aren't people who aren't saved. These are saved people. These are people who actually came to hear the word. They came to church to hear the word. Amen? Amen. So they heard the word, but and cares of this world, and the deceitfulness of riches, and lust of other things entered in and choked the word, and it became unfruitful. And these that are sown on good ground, such as hear the word and receive it and bring forth fruit, some 30-fold, some 60, some 100. Notice one of the things it talks about in this parable. One of the things we've learned in this series is that there are multiple sowers. God is a sower. People who preach or teach his word, they're sowers. We learn that we're sowers, and we also understand the enemy is a sower. And so when it comes to God and his people, we are sowing the word of God. And so when the word of God is sown in your heart, in this parable, your heart is the field of the ground. And so from the heart, they, re- they heard and received the word, and the word began to grow in their heart. But as the word grew, so did some other things. So a lot of people say, he must be talking about people who aren't saved. No, he's talking about people who the word is producing for. But as the word began to grow, so did cares of this world. We talked about that last week, the worry and the anxiety, deceitfulness of riches, and lust 
of other things. It grew in the same heart the word was growing in. So notice it didn't say the word disappeared. It just said the word wasn't producing. So a lot of people get the word and say, well, I wonder why the word is not working for me. It's just because you have some other things working in your heart too. It doesn't mean the word doesn't work. It just means you have allowed some thorns or weeds to grow up and choke the production of the word in your life. One of the things we looked at weeds last week, we talked about how the weeds, when we looked at the very natural analogy that Jesus is using here, the weeds who are allowed to grow around the good plants will begin to take the nutrients from the good plants, leaving the good plants imbalanced, open for disease, open from devastation of insects, and cause them even to be discolored and disfigured. And so some people have discolored and disfigured and imbalanced Christianity because they've allowed cares of this world, deceitfulness of riches, and lust of other things to grow up and choke the word from their life. It's not saying that these people aren't going to heaven. It's just saying they don't have any production of the word on the earth. And the thing is, you should receive the word, but you'll also have the word produced in your life. And so we looked at anxiety and cares of this world and worry last week. And I encourage you, if you missed it, go back and look at that message. But one of the examples we used last week, it says it chokes the word. Another word for choke was to crowd out. So we used the example of musical chairs and how if you open yourself up to anxiety and cares of this world, you're pretty much playing musical chairs with the enemy. And he's trying to booty bump the word out of your life. Because when it comes to musical chairs, it's not always the fastest who wins. It's sometimes the person who has the biggest butt who can knock someone out the chair. And that's what Satan's trying to do. He's trying to knock the word out of your life. He's trying to knock it out through cares and anxiety or deceitfulness of riches and lust of other things. So let's define these terms. Deceitfulness is also defined as delusion. Deceit is the action or practice of deceiving someone by concealing or misrepresenting truth. Deceit is the action or practice of deceiving someone by concealing or misrepresenting truth. Delusion is the act of tricking or deceiving someone. It is the state of being deceived by false beliefs. Pay attention to that. It's the state of being deceived by false beliefs. So the deceitfulness of riches means you are tricked by false beliefs concerning money. Now, lust of other things. A lot of times when we hear the word lust, we think sex. Now, Jesus is talking about sex here. Now, lust of other things do include inordinate sexual desires, but the definition is much more. So let me give you a definition for lust. It is excessive and disproportionately strong desire, especially for what is forbidden. Excessive and disproportionately strong desire, especially for what is forbidden, it is craving. It is a passionate desire or passion built on strong feelings. On one hand, passionate desire can be good if the desires are godly, but it can be highly destructive if they are not. So deceitfulness of riches and lust of other things are called thorns or weeds, just like the cares of this world that we examined last week. So remember, Satan sows the seeds of these weeds. So he will sow seeds of anxiety, seeds of deceitfulness of riches, seeds of lust of other things. And it's your job to either block his sowing or if it's already there, weed your own heart. You know, say, so, well, the pastor's supposed to weed my heart. No. Well, my mom is supposed to weed my heart. No, you is supposed to weed your own heart. 
We can't put our spiritual responsibility all on other people. We have to take responsibility for our own heart, for our own emotions. That's why Prophet says, guard your heart. He didn't say, well, pray for someone to guard your heart. He told you to. Now, one of the things we understand about our children, our teenagers, they're not there yet. So until they are, we help guard their hearts. So we control what they're exposed to. They say, well, everybody else in my class can look what everyone on the internet. Well, you ain't everybody else. Because I thought you were in charge, not your kids, right? But it, it, that is how it works, right? Yeah, my house too. It's like, but some of you look kind of confused for a second. What? I can tell my children what to do? Revelation, Jesus. You have to control what your kids are exposed to. And so, you know, we live in a metro area where there's a lot of things here. And sometimes, you know, you have to distract them. You're out in the public. Nope, I don't want them to know about that yet. And so something was like that, that it might be hard for you to control on the outside, but inside your house, you can control what they watch on TV, what they watch on the Internet, what they watch on their devices. You can control how long they're on the Internet. We have to pay attention to what our kids consume so that we can guard their hearts from the seeds of the enemy. We can guard their hearts from the enemy sowing early in their life anxiety. Sowing in the heart deceitfulness of riches and lust of other things. And we have to make sure we're not the ones sowing it ourselves. Because, you know, we want our kids to grow up and become productive members of society. We want them to have good careers. We want them to go to college. We got to make sure we're not telling them to go to college so you can get a good job, so you can make a lot of money, you can be okay. Because notice, we're telling them we want you to do good so you can make money, so your overall goal is money, and that is deceitfulness of riches. And so now it's not the enemy sowing, it's us by our culture sowing, chase the almighty dollar instead of the almighty God. And you don't tell your kids, well, you can grow up and be whoever you want to be. I thought we're raising Christians, not heathens. You can grow up and be whoever God wants you to be. If God has called you to be the president, you can be the president. If God has called you to be a billionaire, you can be a billionaire. If God has called you to be a teacher, you can be a teacher. If God has called you to be an astronaut, you can be an astronaut. If God has called you to be a scientist, you can be a scientist. You can be whoever God has called you to be. That's where we want to point them, not point them away from God and follow whatever desire they have in their heart. So we have to be careful that we teach the gospel, not Americanisms. We have to make sure we present Jesus, not just things we have in culture. We have to make sure what we present is the word of God so we're sowing the right things into their hearts. See, one of the things about cares of this war anxiety, that's mainly your thought life, and deceitfulness of riches and lust of other things also compares to your thought life, but it also is about your will. It's about your desires. Remember, your soul is your mind, your will, and the very seed of your emotions. And so when you talk about deceitfulness, riches, and lust of other things, you're dealing with your will and your desires. You're dealing with your want to. So let's look at the deceitfulness of riches first. If you're deceived by riches, it means you are tricked by them. It is where the actual truth of riches is misrepresented and you have a false belief concerning money. Many people have a false belief concerning money. Many Christians have a false belief concerning money. So let's look at what the Word of God actually has to say about money. Go to 1 Timothy chapter 6. The Bible actually talks a lot about money. And so people shouldn't be nervous if the preacher talks about money. If the preacher reads the Bible, he should talk about money. 
Now, the preacher, don't read the Bible. He shouldn't talk about much. <laughs> First Timothy chapter 6. Verse 5. <laughs> verse 5. First Timothy chapter 6, verse 5. So notice what Paul is telling Timothy. Timothy's one of his spiritual sons, and he's taking over. He's leading one of the largest churches of early Christianity in Ephesus. And so Paul says, perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds and destitute of the truth, supposing that gain is godliness. So Paul is describing a certain group of people, and he says their mentality is that gain is godliness. Their religion is making money. From such withdraw yourself. But godliness with contentment is great gain. So let's define some terms. The word godliness means devotion to God, reverence toward God, and holiness. Godliness is devotion toward God, reverence toward God, and holiness. It is respect towards God. Now let's define content. Content is the state of peaceful happiness. It's being satisfied. Content is the state of peaceful happiness. It is about being satisfied. And the word gain here means the source of gain. Not just gain, period, but the source of gain. So notice what Paul is saying here. Gain is not godliness, but reverence toward God while living peacefully happy and satisfied is a source of great gain. Now, as we keep going, Paul says, For we brought nothing into this world, and it's certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, let us be there with content, or be peacefully happy. So when we talk about food and raiment, what is he implying? The basic needs being met. You have what you need. You have a place to live. You have, you have clothes on your body. You have food to eat. Your needs are met. Be peacefully happy because you have that. But Paul keeps going. A lot of people stop right there and says, well, that's where you're supposed to stop. No, keep going. But they that will be rich fall into temptation and snare. See, God doesn't like rich people. He does not like that 1%. That 1% is evil. That's right. I like that candidate that's going to take all their money. Be careful because some of that is envy. You see, you got to be careful you don't vote for a candidate because you're envious of another group of people because then you become a partner of their sins. Another message. But they that will be rich, will here means to will deliberately. It means to strongly desire. It doesn't mean the people who are rich, but it's the people who have the mentality that all I want to be is rich. That all my desires is about getting a lot of money. So all those that have the desire that I just want to gain a lot of money fall into temptation. And a snare. That word snare means a trap or a noose. And they also fall into many foolish and hurtful lusts. So the deceitfulness of riches can easily lead you into the lust of other things. And it says, this drown men into destruction and perdition or ruin. So not only now are you in a trap, not only are you injured, now you are being drowned in destruction and ruin. And if you're drowned, you can't escape. For the love of money is the root of all evil. See, Pastor, the Bible just said money is the root of all evil. No, it didn't. Sometimes we have to go back to you know, the early things we learned about reading and actually read. 
it did not say money is the root of all evil. It said the love of money. And so, you know, the love of money is actually one Greek word, which means avarice, which means extreme greed. So extreme greed is the root of all evil. So that means you can be extremely greedy and be broke. You can be so broke you can't pay attention. You can be so poor you spell it P-O dot P-O-O-R and still be extremely greedy and have the root of all evil. You can have a lot of money and still be extremely greedy and have the root of all evil. So it's not about the bank account. It's about the heart. So Paul says, being extremely greedy is the root of all evil, which some have coveted after. And I saw this definition of coveted after here means to give themselves up to the love of money. So they've given themselves up to extreme greed. So what's happened to the people who've given themselves up to extreme, extreme greed? He's talking about believers here. They have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. He didn't even say the enemy did it. He didn't even say others did it. They did it to themselves. They gave themselves over to extreme greed and they injured themselves and turned from faith in Jesus. But one of the things I like about Paul writing to Timothy, he used a lot of compare and contrast. So when you read the actual book, instead of just reading a few scriptures here and there, you'll see Paul's ability of compare and contrast. So he just basically said, don't run after money, right? But thou, O man of God, flee these things. Run from extreme greed. Run for just living for money. Run from just living for whatever you can get with your hand. But follow after, that word follow means to pursue. It means to run quickly after in the hopes of gaining. Righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, and meekness was the ability to control your emotions. So notice what Paul is saying in this passage. Don't live for money. Don't let the desire for getting money consume your thought life and actions. Those who live that way fall into temptations, traps, and unwise lusts that injure them. Extreme greed is the root of all evil. Those who have gone the extremely greedy route have turned from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Flee this lifestyle, pursue and run after God's way of being right, reverence and devotion toward God, faith, love, patience, and control over your emotions. You know, I say, well, this is Paul's instructions to the rich. Actually, it's not. Those are just his general instructions to believers. He says something different to the rich. How many want to know what he has to say to the rich? Skip down a few verses to verse 17. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17. Charge them that are rich in this world. Oh, he's talking to me. I just want to see who else is going to use their faith real quick. Anybody else going to use their faith? Oh, Paul's talking to me. Let's pay attention. Paul is talking to me. Charge them that are rich in this world to give away everything they have and be broke. He, he, he don't say that. He didn't say that. that that's not there. Maybe I'll have a new translation that the socialist wrote, but I don't have that Bible. <laughs> he says, charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded. So if you're rich, don't be full of yourself. 
nor trust in uncertain riches. Don't put your faith in money because money is a bad lover. It will be there one moment and disappear the next. So it says, don't put your faith in the stock market, which is up one day, down the next. The stock market is sometimes determined by tweets. It'll be up one day and sunk the next. So don't put your faith in the stock market. Don't put your faith in the economy. Don't put your faith in money. It's uncertain. You have a lot of money, but don't put your faith in it. But put your faith in the living God. Or in other words, have faith in God. So rich people don't have faith in your money. Have faith in God. But notice what he didn't say. He didn't say have faith in God generally. Listen to this. Have faith in the living God. Everybody else serves dead gods, but our God is alive. And notice what our alive God does. Yes, he came down for us. He died. He got back up again. He died for our sins, but he was risen for our justification. He was raised to declare us not guilty. He's alive forevermore. He is the source of all life. The rivers of life flow from him are alive and living forevermore. God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Does God give you things to meet your needs? See, reading is fundamental. Let's try it again. Let's try it again. Let's read it again. Reading is fundamental. But in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. So if you have your basic needs being met, just be peacefully happy because you serve a God who gives you all things abundantly to what? Enjoy. So God is not just interested in meeting your needs. He wants to give you stuff you enjoy. So God wants to bless you in such a way as, oh, God, I didn't need that. He said, I know you didn't need that. I just knew you would enjoy that. So we have to change our vocabulary. We start to say, well, I love things. No, you don't love that car. You don't love that suit. You enjoy it. So I don't say, well, I love that car. No, I enjoy that car. Because I just put it in a category that if God sees fit, he can just, here you go. Because the thing is, if we love things, we will use people to get things. But if we love people, we'll use things to love people. Because if you love things, you'll become extremely greedy and turn from the faith. But you love God and love people, and you love peacefully happy, God can load you down with things you enjoy. Notice what it also says to the rich people. Do good. Be rich in good works. So now that you're rich in money, be rich in doing good. Be known for doing good works. Be ready to distribute, which means live to be generous. Look for opportunities to be generous. So don't just wait for them to come upon you. Look for opportunities to bless somebody. Look for opportunities to bless organizations and charities and churches. Look for those opportunities. Willing to communicate. Be willing to be generous. So don't just do it because you have money. Well, I have to. No, be willing. Be willing to be generous. Look for opportunities to be generous. But notice it's on the individual. And nowhere did God tell the rich people give up everything. Some people take one message to one man and make that their doctrine. You're not supposed to cherry-pick scriptures and make doctrines out of them. Jesus told the rich young ruler, you sell everything, give to the poor, and come work for me. Meaning, I'm going to pay your bills. But notice, 
He said, you sell everything and give to the poor. So if Jesus is right there with him, helping, directing his selling, so you know he's going to make a profit, and then directing his giving, you know there's going to be a harvest. Jesus just set up this dude for an abundant harvest like he never thought of before. But that dude went away grieved because he had much possessions. He was sad at that saying. You know, that wasn't you guys today, but some people in his offering time, I said, it's offering time, some of you are sad at that saying. <laughs> but he went away because he had much possessions. And the thing is, then Jesus said, how hard is it for the rich people to enter into the kingdom of heaven? And the disciples said, excuse me? What are you talking about? So women, you know, if they were broke, they would say, that's right, Jesus, preach against those rich people. Those rich people just been taking advantage of us for way too long. Preach, Jesus, preach. But remember, a lot of the disciples of Jesus were business people. They had businesses. They had money. So the women went, was it hard for us to get in? Because we got something. So Jesus clarified, how hard is for those who trust in riches, whose faith is in their money, to enter into the kingdom of heaven? And Peter makes a statement, but we've given up everything to follow you. Remember, Peter had a fishing business that was working. He gave it up to follow Jesus. And what did Jesus tell Peter? No man has given up houses. And he begins to list all these material things and different things and not receive now. In this time, he didn't say heaven. He said now and this time, a hundredfold and in the world to come eternal life. So there's harvest and reward financially in this life, and there's harvest and reward in the next life. But your faith and your focus can't be in money, but it has to be in God. Because notice what Paul says here, laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come that they may lay hold on eternal life. So notice, they're laying up a foundation for their future. Not just heaven future, but the future on earth. So what happens if this person is living to be generous, looking for opportunities to be a blessing? So that means their lifestyle is continually sowing, 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 and sowing. And what happens if the market collapses? What happens? They have harvest. So although they may have been in a situation where seemingly that they've lost everything, they've built up a secure foundation for the future. They have harvest in this life and the world to come. That's what Paul said to the rich people. And so the thing is, deceitfulness of riches is not about what's in your bank account. It's about what's in your heart. And you have to be careful that you don't just side with people because they're mad, because, like you're mad. Well, I've been working hard and I don't have what they have. I should have what they have. That's covetousness. That's envy. That's jealousy. That's devilish. So you don't support policies that are rooted in that. So you have to understand, people think, well, one party is righteous, one party is not. They both got issues. They're both messed up. But before you ba vote based off of your feelings, pray in the Holy Ghost. I told, I think, crew on Wednesday nights, you need to start praying in the Holy Ghost by the election next year now. Get out of your emotions now. And pray in the Holy Ghost and get the will of God, what you're supposed to do, what your part is in it. We can't make decisions based off our emotions and based, and based in envy 
and jealousy and anger and offense and anxiety, all these things we've been talking about for the last month, that cannot be the motivation for the decisions we make. It has to be. It's like, well, I know the Word of God, and I've prayed, and this is what I believe I'm supposed to do. So whether the person you vote for wins or not, you've done what you're supposed to do. You've been obedient to what you know in your heart. And then you know that it doesn't matter who wins or not, God's got me. Because my faith is not in politicians. Thank God. <laughs> my faith is in God. Some people, well, I'm tired of all these politicians doing this. Well, one is number one is your job to pray for them. No matter if you're a donkey and elephant, follow the lamb first. But number two, if you're so tired of it, why don't you run? So I'm like, oh, not me. Why not you? Some of you need to start praying. Like, well, maybe I should run. You get before God, and if that's what God wants you to do, go run and make a difference. Well, politics is dirty. Yeah, it is. But there are people God calls to wade through that mess and make a difference. We have to make a difference. So that's what Paul is saying to the rich, and that's how you address the deceitfulness of riches. See, the thing is, it is the will of God for all men to be saved. It is the will of God for all to be healed, healthy, whole, and prosperous. It is the will of God, but the will of God is not automatic. We're well, like, well, pastor, if it's the will of God, it has to come to pass. Mm, not necessarily. Go back a few pages. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4. 1 Timothy 2, 1 tells us to pray for all those who are in authority. So that means you need to pray for political officials every day on a regular basis. Now, word authority also means influence. You need to pray for influencers on a regular basis because they influence people to go one way or the other. But when you get to verse 4, it says, Talking about God who will, have, who will have all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. So the will of God is that all men be saved and come into the knowledge of the truth. Will everybody be saved? No. But God wants them to be. People have choices. Do you know how you were saved? You lined your will up to the will of God. You believed in your heart that Jesus is the Son of God, that God raised him from the dead, and you said it with your mouth, Jesus Lord. You lined up with the will of God and believed that Jesus is Savior, and you lined up with the will of God and you got saved. But you had to line your will up with his will, the same way where people experience healing and prosperity. Now, one of the things I want to address is you can take any truthful biblical doctrine to the extreme and make it error. You can take any true scriptural doctrine to the extreme and make it error. You can take a doctrine about salvation to the extreme and make it error. Well, how can you make the salvation doctrine extreme? You say everybody's going to heaven. That's not true. If you read the book of Revelation, there's some people who don't go. And it's not because God didn't want them to go. It was their choice. You can take grace and make it extreme. Well, I can do whatever I want because I'm in the era of grace. Mm, that's not true either. Just because you're not under the law, you're still under the law of love. There's still things in the New Testament that it tells you to do. You can take anything and make it extreme. You can take prosperity and make it extreme. It is God's desire that all people prosper, that God, they have more than enough. We've seen that from the scriptures. 
but you can take it to the extreme. And I've seen people take it to the extreme. You know, sometimes we take experiences and make doctrines out of them, and that becomes dangerous. Because if a doctrine is something you stand on, not just an experience that God moved this way at this certain time, but it doesn't mean that's what he wants to do every day. So I'm sure sometime in the last 100 to 200 years, God told somebody that if you give this amount, I will give you that amount. But that's not the will of God for all people in all time. That gets into error. That's why you don't hear me say, well, if you give $34.17 today, you'll get a breakthrough tomorrow, right? And in 34 days and 17 minutes, this is going to happen to you. No. I'm sure at some point in time, the Holy Ghost said that once. But when you use it that way, it's going to the extreme. Now, you know I believe in seed time harvest. I know believe in seed and name seeds and standing before, before God. But the thing is, a lot of people, they like to say, well, that preacher used that for the example, but people gave because they wanted a quick, get rich quick scheme. Well, see, they like to point fingers that way, but sometimes, you know, you point, you gotta. You know, I remember one time I was teaching the School of Ministry students in Texas. I was training them, and I wanted to use them an example. I was teaching one, you know, one stand with the word because you can preach anything and make people emotional. And so it was Christmas time. And if some of you know my personality, I'm kind of extra sometimes. And so I gathered them around, and I preached about Rudolph. I was stirring them up about Rudolph. And, man, it sounded good. I said, you know, they didn't like Rudolph. But what they didn't like about him made him special. What they didn't like about him caused a breakthrough when they needed it in their season. What they don't like about you today is what they're going to celebrate tomorrow. I made it really good. I'm talking about, they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're like, they're right there. I'm preaching no gospel. It's no word, but I know how to do the inflections and put the emotions in. They're going for it. I'm using this for an example. And I says, right now, if you sow $34.70, you'll get a breakthrough hoof in the mail. And just like God brought Rudolph through, he will bring you through too. And they looked at me and was like, what? And one of them was like, I kind of want that breakthrough hoof. <laughs> but notice what it was. It's stirring up these emotions. And the thing is, just because something stirs your emotions doesn't mean it's the Holy Ghost. So you have to be mature enough to know, is this the Holy Ghost or is this my emotions? Is there word in this? That's why when we say you don't take the word of a preacher unless they can prove it to you from the Bible. That's why we are a teaching church, a teaching ministry. There is harvest if you sow. There is prosperity. It is the will of God. But we do not want to people to be pimps in the pulpit. So that's why I point you to the word. We talk about tithing, we talk about offering, we talk about sowing seeds, we talk about giving, then we leave it up to you. I don't go stand over you and say, well, did, what did you give today? Well, did you give what you're supposed to give? I don't even check records. Well, how many? Well, which person? Did they tithe today? Let's see. Did, how often do they tithe? No, I don't do that. Now, do I have records? Could I do that? Yeah, but that's not my heart. That's not what I want to know because I never want to be in a position where I treat one person better than another because, well, they tithe and they don't. So I don't. What am I doing? Guarding my own heart. 
You have to be a person that knows how to guard your own heart and grow in the word of God that you can discern right from wrong. And not just go somewhere because people are hype, you know. My Uncle Will would say this when I was growing up. He said, you know, hype is just a substitute for the anointing. Because people can get hype about something doesn't mean the Holy Ghost is there. That's emotion. That's flesh. It's good to be hype about the right stuff. But you got to make sure it's biblical. Get hype about what the Bible says. Don't get just hype because, oh, I had an emotional time today. That's why we point everything back to the Word. So that you're not tricked by riches. And you're not tricked by popular false teaching. Now, one thing also, there are people, well-meaning people, that may preach the wrong message and do something wrong. Doesn't mean they're false teachers or false prophets. And please don't determine a false teacher or prophet by what someone said on Facebook because they, they know nothing. Someone says, I don't know if Facebook ever made the blind to see or the lame to walk, but has made the dumb to speak. You go to the word yourself and see. And there's some people, they're well-meaning. They'll get some things wrong. What do you do? You eat the hay, spit the sticks. Eat the chicken, throw away the bone. And so be careful not to cast judgment on people just because they made a mistake. Because Jesus said the same way you judge is how you're going to be judged. See, a lot of people, all they do on social media is judge. And they wonder why they have so many haters. Because they is the hater. Just because you post it doesn't mean it's not going to show up in your life. Just because you tweet doesn't mean you're going to run into the manifestation of your tweet. Well, let's go to 3 John verse 1. 3 John verse 2. Beloved, I wish above all things that you may prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers. It is the will of God that you prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers. Your will is a part of your soul. So if your will is wrong, you will not experience total health and prosperity. If your will is wrong, you will not experience total health and prosperity. Go to Psalm 37, verse 1. Let me speed up a little bit. Psalm 37, verse 1. We have to make sure our will is right. And please don't judge people for what they got. See, one of the things, when I t- I'm going to teach a series on faith sometime soon, whenever I'm done with this series, when the, uh, the Holy Ghost lets me off of this series, and teach on faith. But I was having a conversation with my wife a couple months ago, and she was talking about, he says, she's like, from the outside, when you look at all of these faith teachers, it makes, the, it makes it look like you have to have your life together in order to live by faith. And I said, that's not true. And one of the things I know is not true is because I had the opportunity to grow up with them. Like, I watch them. I know them. Some of them's like, oh, we remember when you were this high, and we remember you. And I had a chance to watch them behind the scenes, to watch the messages they preach of the pulpit and watch the messages they preach in their lives. I've seen them at their low moments activate the laws of seed time and harvest and faith and see the results they get. I've seen them in times when they don't understand what happened. But I watch them put their trust in God. I'm, you know, I'm the kid just watching and observing. And so whenever I do the series on faith, I want to share you those principles from just some of the things from the Word of God, but also what I watched. That one of the honors I've had, I've had the honor of growing up and knowing all these speakers. You know, I bring in a lot of people from my family, but I've also had the honor of knowing the Copelands, the Hagans, the Roberts, the Hankins, the Renners. Before I ever went on my first mission trip, I was like, well, I should probably sit down with Rick Renner because, you know, he knows a lot about missions. 
And so I went and sat down with him. And he poured into me, laid hands on me, prophesied over me, and then sold into my mission trip. Like I mar- used uh, Mark and Trina Hank as an example earlier, I've known them since I was 14. And anytime I see them, they pour into my life and encourage me. There's so many people I've had a chance to watch and learn and see them use their faith for the impossible. And then, you know, I've gone to different places and I hear people say, well, I don't know why they have that jet or why they have a lot of money now. I said, well, you didn't know them when they were broke. Because some of them were so broke, it was like, ooh. Like, wow, you believe in prosperity, but ooh. I remember one preacher, I won't go into the story, but, you know, they were learning from Dad Hagen's ministry. And, you know, they didn't have the money to buy the tapes. And it was, this was even before tapes. I think it was like real to real, so it was like really, really ancient stuff that I'd not even seen in my life. And they said they wanted these teachings of faith. And they said, well, I don't have the money right now, but I'm going to go to work and I'm going to leave my car as a deposit. And, you know, the business manager looked out the window and saw that car like, ooh. <laughs> and they said, well, that car is in the parking lot. People are not going to stand. Like, we preach prosperity, but why is that car there? They said, that's okay. We're going to be able to take your car home and we're going to be a blessing to you. And so, you know, they started out at this really low level, but they ain't low no more. That's Kenneth Copeland. And so I've watched all these things happen over the years. And they know people don't like preachers to have jets. I'm like, well, that's Ann. Like, doesn't Jay-Z and Beyonce got one? But one? So why are you mad? So I don't understand. Because I don't have one yet. So yet. Yet. But you know, every time I go to Africa, do you know what they keep saying? You need a jet. They actually pray in Africa for me to get a jet. So we got to make sure we judge by biblical standards, not just because of what's popular on social media and not because of what the news shares. You know, pay attention to when the news shares certain stories. Some stories always come out right before Easter to turn people away from the church. Pay attention. Psalm 37. Fret not yourself because of evildoers. Neither be envious against the workers of iniquity. Don't be envious at people who are wicked, but it seems like everything's going right for them. For they shall soon be cut down like the grass and wither as the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. So you shall dwell in the land, and verily you shall be fed. Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way unto the Lord. Trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. Delight means to take great pleasure in. The pastor translation says verse 4 this way. Make God the utmost delight and pleasure of your life, and he'll provide for you what you desire the most. Making God the number one delight and pleasure in your life is a matter of your will and your priorities. What do you want? Why do you want it? What is number one to you? See, when you make God number one, he gives you the desires of your heart. See, that's Matthew 6.33. We looked at that last week. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added on to you. If in your focus and pursuit of God, he will change your desires. He will remove the wrong desires and honor the right desires. In order to experience this, you must do the will of God. You must line your will with God's will. You must 
put God first in your will. You must want to. See, Isaiah 119 says, if you be willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. Not just be obedient, but you also got to be willing. You have to want to do what's right and then do what's right. You might say, well, I'll do what's right, but I'm having a hard time wanting to. Well, Philippians 2.13 says, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. God is living on the inside of you, not just to help you do what's right, but help you to want to do what's right. Go to Galatians chapter 5 with me real quick. Galatians chapter 5. Verse 16. This I say then, walk in the Spirit. The word walk means to habitually make decisions that line up with the Spirit or make living in the Spirit your lifestyle. So if you make decisions that regularly and habitually line up with the Spirit, you make living in the Spirit your lifestyle, you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the, the word lust here for verse 17 means to have desires opposed to something. So the flesh has desires that oppose the Spirit, and the Spirit has desires that oppose the flesh. And these are contrary to one another, so you cannot do the things that you will. So the spirit and the flesh put pressure on one another. As we talked about in one of our previous series, it's not talking about the Holy Spirit, but it's talking about your born again and recreated your spirit. So your born again spirit is putting pressure on your flesh, and your flesh is putting pressure on your spirit. And so you have a war on the inside of you. Verse 24. And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh. With the affections, that means passions, and lust. So notice what it says. You will have desires that are wrong. Lust of other things, some of them come from the heart. Jesus even talked about things that happen in the outside come from people's hearts. So you will have lust or desires that are wrong. What did Paul say? Crucify them. So you mean that even though this is how I really feel, this is my truth. This is what I want to do. God would tell me not to do what I want to do and do what he wants me to do. This is Christianity. <laughs> this is not the religion of you. So when we got saved, Jesus wasn't just Savior. He is Lord, supreme in authority. That's what that word means. It means what he says goes. So that means even if we have desires in our flesh to do something that is wrong. We're not supposed to give in. So, well, that's not popular today. You know, that's, that's bigoted. No, I, it's Bible. Just because you have that desire doesn't mean that's what you're supposed to do. You mean Jesus would tell me to deny something that's going to make me happy? No, it's not going to make you happy. You'll enjoy it for a little while, but then you'll pay for it. That's what the book of Hebrews says. So Jesus will deny something, tell you to deny it. It may make you happy emotionally for a moment, but to pay for it in the long run. Because you don't see what's on the other side of that. So Jesus will tell you to deny the lust of your flesh. He will tell you to crucify the unrighteous desires that are in your members. Now Paul says that in multiple places, mortify the deeds of the body. Kill it. Don't give place to it. Don't yield to it. Don't do it. And don't get close to doing it. See, some people, you're like, well, the Bible says this is sin. It says that's sin right there. But let's see how close I can't get. I'm, I'm, technically, te I'm not sinning. Technically. 
See, but I like what one of my friends said, David Winston says, he says, all the gray area is is a lighter form of darkness. So the thing is, especially where it comes to sexual sin, Paul says, flee fornications. There's few things that God tells you to run from, but that's one of them. Don't get as close as you can get to sexual immorality. Run the other way. <laughs> I have this funny story of a guy who served as a deacon in Texas. I think he's back in Michigan now. And he told me this story about when he was a college student. And so he was hanging out with his girlfriend. And, you know, I guess he was really, really, really tempted. And so all he knew was that scripture. So he jumped up and yelled, flee fornication. <laughs> and he ran out of his dorm room. Well, he stayed holy. It's a story I will never forget. But if that's what you got to do to stay holy, then do what you got to do. Don't get as close as you can get to it. Live holy, which means live set apart. Live godly. Romans 8, 13 says, For if you live after the flesh, you shall die. Well, that's simple. But if you through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, you shall live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Notice the comparison and the contrast. Don't be led by the lust of your flesh. Be led by the Spirit of God who lives on the inside of you. Those who are led by the Spirit of God, they're mature. Those who are led sometimes by the Spirit, other times by their flesh, they're immature. For you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father, or I've got a daddy. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. So notice, as you're working to live right and do what's right and reject deceitfulness of riches and lust of other things, God is living inside of you to help you do it. But he's not a God who's looking down on you, ready to judge you, ready to zap you. He is a loving Heavenly Father who wants you to come to him and say, Hey, God, Father, Daddy, I need help. I'm trying to, but I'm struggling here. And then it says, Jesus, the Son of God, is our high priest. The book of Hebrews says he is familiar with our struggle, in other words. So the thing is, Jesus gets you. He gets the struggle. He gets where it's hard place. It says he was tempted in every area like we've been tempted. So you haven't been tempted like Jesus has been tempted, but one of the ways Jesus was tempted matches to how you're tempted in your life and matches to what Hebrews calls a sin that so easily besets. Jesus gets your struggle. He gets you. So when you're coming before God, Jesus is always representing you. He said he ever lives to make intercession before the Father for you. And he's always coming before God saying, hey, God, I get them. You know, I, re- I went through that. I resisted that. So I pray that you help them today. I pray that you give them more grace today, that you encourage them, that you help them. So you have Jesus who gets you presenting your case to the judge who is your heavenly Father who loves you. And to help you do right, they sent the Holy Ghost to live on the inside of you to help you want to do what's right, to help you do what's right, and help you kill the deeds and the lust of the flesh. Knowing all that, 2 Corinthians 13, 14, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion or the partnership of the Holy Ghost be with you all. Amen. Another translation is the amazing grace of the Master Jesus Christ, the extravagant love of God, and the intimate friendship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. See, this word communion means partnership, association, community, fellowship, joint participation, intimate, and intimacy. 
So let's go to 1 John 1. Let me close here. We'll walk through chapter 1, or I'll try. 1 John chapter 1, verse 1. This is written by Apostle John, the one who's known as the Apostle of Love, one of the youngest disciples of Jesus. The one who had such confidence in the love of God and how much Jesus loved him that on the night Jesus was betrayed, he leaned on Jesus and said, tell me who was going to betray you. He had such confidence that while Jesus didn't tell the rest of the crew, John's like, well, he'll tell me. And you know what? When you look at the different gospel accounts, Peter believed John would get an answer too. So he said, John, you ask, because he'll tell you. Because he had confidence that Jesus loved him. See, when you have confidence how much Jesus loves you, you believe for things better than what other people would. He just believed it. And the thing is, Jesus did give him an answer. So when John is writing this notice, he says in verse 1, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our, hand, and our hands have handled of the word of life, for the life was manifested, and we have seen it and bear witness and show unto you that eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifested unto us. So he says, I can only talk to you what I saw what I heard, what I felt, I was there. This is not secondhand information. I was there. I saw him. See, John is writing this letter decades later after Jesus already raised from the dead and ascended to heaven. There are people alive now who weren't even alive when Jesus was on the earth. And John says, I was there. Is that which I've seen and heard declare we unto you that you may have fellowship or partnership with us? And truly our partnership was with the Father and his Son, Jesus Christ. Partnership. God wants to partner with you. And these things write we unto you that your joy may be full. This then is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you that God is light. And in him is no darkness at all. It's hard for you to come to your heavenly father and believe for his help if you believe he's wanting to zap you and punish you and get you back for what you did wrong. God is not interested in punishing you. He punished Jesus so he doesn't have to punish you. God is light. In him is no darkness at all. So he doesn't give people cancer to teach them something. Because in him is no darkness at all. So he doesn't impoverish people to teach them something. Because in him is no darkness at all. He doesn't give people depression and suicidal thoughts to make them battle. No, in him is light and in him is no darkness at all. So you have to know he's light. As I said earlier, he is good and he loves you. So notice it says in verse 6, if we say that we have partnership with him, not saying we have a relationship with him, say we're working with him, but we live and walk and actively walk in darkness, we lie and don't do the truth. But if we walk in the truth, well, if we walk in the light as he's in the light, we have fellowship or partnership one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ the Son cleanses us from what? All sin. All sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. So when you're reading it at first hand, you're like, well, this is kind of confusing. What is he talking about? Verse 8 and verse 10 is talking about verse 6. Verse 6 talks about a person that saying, yeah, I'm working with God. I have partnership with God, but you're living in darkness. You're living in anxiety and the cares of this world. You're living after deceitful riches and lust of other things or doing anything you know the Bible is telling you not to do. Not saying, I made a mistake, but this is what you do on a regular basis. He's talking to Christians. 
And he says, if you do that, if you live that way, you're not partnering with God. You may be his child, but you're not working with him. You are lying, and you're not doing the truth. And if you're doing that, and you say you have no sin just because you're saved, you're deceiving yourself, and the truth is not in you. Because then John compares, if we confess our sins, he is faithful just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we have said that we have not sinned, we make him a lie, and his word is not in us. He's talking about verse 6 and verse 10, verse 6 and verse 8. So if you're walking in the darkness and say, well, I don't have any sin, I've never sinned, then no, you have sinned. You haven't repented. But if you confessed your sins, no, you don't have any sin. Because it says for those of us who walk in the light, as he is in the light, the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. So you have made, may have made some mistakes where deceitfulness of riches or lust of other things are concerned. Confess them before God today. He cleans it up. And before God, you don't have any sin. None. Whatsoever. Like you can go to God and say, God, remember when I made a mistake yesterday? He'll go, what are you talking about? Because you keep going in chapter 2, verse 1 and verse 2, it talks about how Jesus is our propitiation, our atoning sacrifice, meaning Jesus took our place. Jesus took the punishment so we didn't have to take it. Jesus died the death we were supposed to die so we didn't have to do it. Jesus suffered so we wouldn't have to suffer like him. If Jesus bore it, we're not supposed to carry it. So whatever Jesus bore, it is our job to resist. Jesus bore our sins, so it's our job to resist sin. Jesus bore our sickness, so it's our job to resist sickness. It says Jesus became poor that we might become rich. So Jesus bore our poverty, so it's our job to resist poverty. Whatever Jesus bore is our job to resist. And because Jesus did all these things for us. We need to learn how to partner with God so we can make a difference in our time. And it, I can sum it up as I close on 1 Peter 4, 2, that you should no longer live the rest of your time in the flesh to the lust of men, but to the will of God. Because Jesus has done all these things, yield to the will of God. Because his will is good. And if you yield to his will, it's not only will you experience good, but so will many others. I hope you enjoyed today's message. Thank you once again for tuning in today. You know, if you enjoyed the message, go ahead and subscribe to our YouTube channel, download our Faith Christian Center Georgia app, as well as follow us on social media. And if you want to partner with us as a ministry, you can text FCCJ to 73256. That's FCCJ to 73256. And you can give financially support this ministry and what we do here in the metro Atlanta area as well as all around the world. Once again, thank you for tuning in today, and I'll see you next time.